Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. The CMU Podcast, in association with 7Digital. This week, music sales, mental health in music and the Mercury Prize. It's the CMU Podcast, looking back at the last week in the music business. I'm Andy Malt on his triumphant return to the podcast. And with me is Chris Cook, who's just always here. Did you listen to last week's podcast? I did. It was very good. Did, did you learn? Did you learn? I learned. It was, it was very interesting. It was very disappointing for me that it went so well without me. Although we did have to record it on the Friday rather than the Thursday. Maybe that's what made it better. But I did mean it was slightly more up to date. It meant that there wasn't any major news stories that we were weirdly not mentioning on the podcast, like that week when... SoundCloud laid off half their staff 10 minutes after we recorded the podcast. Yeah, or when Prince died. Or that week when, uh, did Prince die while we were on the podcast? Yes, it was the first thing I saw when I turned my phone back on. Was it? And then, of course, more recently, the song kit Warner deal was just as soon as we'd uh, finished recording the podcast. But it's that's almost not... like people plan these things. Is that Prince? I'm sure he didn't. When we were picking what stories we should talk about yesterday because we're that prepared yeah we don't just show up we talk the day before <laughs> and when we were discussing i deliberately don't normally <laughs> i deliberately didn't say the quincy jones michael jackson estate case yeah because at that point the jury was still deliberating and i thought well if we talk about that the jury will rule between us recording the podcast and it coming out. It'll be old news, old news, old news. But now they've already deliberated yeah so we could have talked about that story quincy won it quincy won although not quite he wanted 30 million. He got just under 10, but still. It's hardly worth going out for, well, is it? <laughs> 10 million for uh, <laughs> half an hour in the witness stand. Well, given that the, pretty good rate. the Michael Jackson estate sort of conceded he might be owed 400,000. Yes. It's, it's still pretty good going. It's a nine and a half million uh, upgrade. Yes. I liked how the Michael Jackson estate kept saying, uh, no, we're talking about this because we're not talking about this story. And if people. I've not been following the story in the CMU Daily, though I have no idea what we're talking about. But this is why you should read the CMU Daily, not just twice a week, not just when there's something eye-catching in the subject line. You should read it from beginning to end every single day. Yeah, otherwise the podcast, I do. Otherwise the podcast doesn't make sense. Yeah, the, the Michael Jackson estate kept saying to Quincy, it's the kids, think of the kids. The only beneficiaries of the Michael Jackson estate are his children. You're taking money from his children. And you have to think, I mean, obviously, it's very well, sad. Didn't Quincy Jones, in his defence, say, I also have <laughs> yeah, kids. <laughs> he did say that. Yeah. But also, I mean, obviously, it was very sad that the three children lost their father at a young age. But, um, I mean, they're hardly, uh, <laughs> hardly strapped for cash, mm. one has to think, given how much money the estate rakes in. But anyway, that's a story we're not talking about on this week's podcast. It has to be noted that that is something we're not going to talk about on this week's podcast. Yes, and we should note uh, that throughout August, there will be lots of stories we're not talking about because we're going to take August off. Despite Andy Malt making a really big deal when we came back after the Great Escape, we took a, a couple of weeks off, didn't we, at various points in April and May because things kept happening, like Canadian Music Week and the Great Escape. So we took a few weeks off. And then when we came back after the Great Escape in sort of late May, you made a really big deal about how we were never going to take another week off. This was it now. And here we are declaring we're going to take the whole of August off. But yes, 
I have another podcast to replace it. Oh, good. And I mean, I'm not just talking. I've randomly found a podcast on the internet. Although I'm sure there's lots of very good podcasts. Because I could recommend you some randomly on the internet. But it is August, which means it is Edinburgh Festival time again. And those who pay attention to things will know that as well as uh, doing CMU stuff over here, I'm pointing to this side of the studio. Yeah. Over here, mm-hmm. on this side of the studio, we also have a magazine that covers the Edinburgh Festival and the yeah. Edinburgh Fringe called Three Weeks Edinburgh, which is a sister publication to our year-round cultural guide to London, this week London. The Edinburgh Festival is a with us once again, kicks off next week, or actually this week as you're listening to the podcast. So it starts on Friday as you're listening to this podcast, providing you listen to this podcast in the week when it was published. So difficult when... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> At least on the radio, you know what time people are listening. It's a problem with the on-demand age, isn't it? You never know when people are listening. Bloody kids. The Edinburgh Fringe is here, and therefore our other podcast, or my other podcast, and he's not involved. I don't want to be involved. He's not on. The TW Talks podcast, so TW for three weeks. This week, it's the TW Talks podcast, where we TW talk. Did you see what I did there? I did. To comedians and actors and directors and writers and people who are doing exciting stuff at the Edinburgh Festival. So the first one of those is already out with the comedian Phil Wang, who was very interesting. I like Phil Wang. He is part of a sketch comedy group who've got a brand new series of their sketch comedy show on Radio 4 as we speak. Mm. So if you go onto the radio player, you'll probably find that. But he's not in Edinburgh doing sketch. Actually, he is. He's got a couple of one-offs with his sketch comedy troupe. But he's really there for a new stand-up show. And so I spoke to him all about that. And so if you go to thisweektalks.com... You can listen to me talking to Phil Wang now. Plus, while there is no CMU podcast in August, we'll be putting out one of those every week. The next one will be with a comedian called Rosie Wilby, who was a music journalist back in the olden days. Perhaps I'll get her to talk about some music stuff. Yeah. In case any CMU podcast listeners are tuning in. Because she did a show about that at the Edinburgh Festival a few years ago. So maybe I'll get her to talk about the uh, the days when uh, you could actually have a job in music journalism rather than it just being a, a sideline that you occasionally <laughs> do on a Wednesday. So, yeah, go to thisweektalks.com, sign up to TW Reports podcast, and so when there's no CMU podcast, you'll still be able to hear my voice, which obviously is the most important bit. But the good thing about the TW Talks podcast, mm. as opposed to this podcast, yeah. is there's a lot less of my voice. Yeah. Because <laughs> I asked the questions and they did the answers. And generally, there were a couple of times, actually, in the Phil Wang interview where my question was significantly longer than his. You do sometimes ask very long questions. <laughs> longer than his uh, answer. But uh, there's more of him than there is of me. OK. Well, that's good. So that's what we should pitch it on. More of the guests than Chris. Perhaps I'll change. I can't remember what the slogan is for the TW Talks podcast. I'll change it. So listen to that in August and then we will return in September with more music business nonsense. Assuming there is still a music business. Well, was it? it might, there's always the possibility that it might just shut down in August. It gets pretty shaky in August anyway, so you, you just never know. So we will regroup in early September, work out if there is still a music business, and if there is, we will return with the CMU podcast. Well, if there isn't, I think we could start... A, I mean, we're going to have to change our business model anyway if there's no music business, so I think we should start a podcast about the death of the music business. We did talk about doing a podcast on evolutionary biology once yeah i'm not sure i've got much to say about that what i'm reading a lot about at the moment is the jesus myth theory oh yeah i I could talk to you about that because i've been reading about that in quite a lot of detail all right well we'll save that for september so um perhaps if, if the music business does go 
in August. Which is looking quite likely it will. Then perhaps we'll turn this over to an investigation of the Jesus myth theory. I was uh, listening to a podcast with a historian who's the one academic. The Jesus myth theory. Did, most- the, did the historian come around your house while you listened to it with them? No. What made you say that? You said you were listening to a podcast with a historian. Oh, I see. <laughs> yes. No, you were deliberately misunderstanding for comedy yeah. effect. And yeah. I misunderstood that you were deliberately misunderstanding for comedy effect. My point is, mm. I was listening to this podcast with a historian because there's lots of Did Jesus... Did they come around to your house? <laughs> there's lots of Jesus myth theories, most of which are nonsense. But this is like a proper academic historian who's done some rigorous research. He is very interesting. And I listened to a podcast interview with him. So he was being interviewed in the podcast. He was not in the room at the time. So you went to his house. So, <laughs> so this podcast, but I just do it on YouTube because you know how some people put their podcasts on YouTube. Yeah, we've talked about that. We don't put our podcast on YouTube. Uh, it's uh, in solidarity with the music industry. Yeah, all right. And their, right. and their hatred of YouTube and not because we've never quite got around to setting that up. We're everywhere else. In fact, I think you can find us on iHeart now. Yeah, and Deezer. And Deezer. I'm not sure how long it's been on Deezer, but and, I found it this week. And Spotify, but not YouTube. No. However, this but, podcast... But really, like, everywhere else. This podcast was on YouTube, and it had... You know how on YouTube you can set the ads so they come in the middle rather than at the start? Mm-hmm. They do that now on YouTube, so in the middle, in a really stupid place, an ad suddenly starts playing. And in the middle of this 30-minute podcast with this interview with this atheist historian about the Jesus myth theory, some uh, evangelical church had inserted a 30-minute ad into the middle. (laughs) All about how uh, (laughs) Jesus wouldn't approve of this atheist historian talking about the Jesus myth theory. And actually, we should all pay attention to what Jesus has to say. I thought that was quite amusing. I think a 30-minute ad. I didn't know YouTube even allowed such a thing. Well, sometimes people put uh, entire music videos as a pre-roll on a music video. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. Which is quite annoying. <laughs> Please don't do that. Anyway, if the music business does collapse in August, I think what we have proven in the intro to this podcast is we could probably still do a CV podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Even if nothing has happened the in the music business. The Christ update. Because we're already 20 minutes into this. I don't know how far we're into this podcast. We are some way into this podcast and we haven't actually started, even though we are actually on quite a tight deadline. Yeah, well, we better get started then. We better get started. So coming up this week, we're going to talk about uh, various new initiatives around mental health in music and the music industry. We're going to talk about this year's Mercury Prize shortlists, our uh, annual disappointed look down that list. Yeah, but that also comes with the proviso that as we're recording this, this is hot off the press. As you're listening to it, it will be tedious old news you're sick of hearing about. But bear with us because it's Thursday as we record this, even though it might be Monday as you listen. Or Wednesday. Or March. Yes. Um, But first, we're going to talk about the boom in music retail. Yeah, some figures that disappointingly disprove our theory that the music industry will cease to exist in August. Yes. So uh, music, well, entertainment retail in general is up, but music retail on its own is more up. It's up 11.2% in the first half of 2017, and it is boosted by, like everything in the music industry, streaming. Yes. Now, you might not think of streaming as music retail, but it is so there. These are figures from the Entertainment Retailers Association, and yes, the Entertainment Retailers Association, or ERA which I think is how we're meant to call them. I'm doing a uh, panel at the ERA AGM in September. I really ought to uh, double-check that we do say ERA. That is how you... Uh, you could call them uh, ERA. Anachronate them. 
Is, is that a It'd word? It'd probably be more annoyed if you called them error. <laughs> An error. <laughs> Welcome to the error. <laughs> AGM. But yes, the Entertainment Retailers Association brings together music retail and gaming retail and then what they call video retail because they can't say film because then people think of cinemas. They used to say DVD. That was nice and straightforward. But of course, they can't say DVD anymore right. because crucially, yes, as you sort of implied, when you talk about retail, I think most people think of Probably the high street. Yeah. They are thinking... You think, well, when I say music retail, you're thinking HMV, really, aren't you? Possibly Amazon. Possibly a bit of mail Maybe. order in there. But you're probably thinking physical products. But no, retail includes everything digital. So not just iTunes. Actually, iTunes isn't a member yeah. <laughs> of era because Apple don't do trade bodies because they're weird like that. But it's not just the download stores. It is the streaming platforms too, across the board. So the sort of the subscription streaming, where it's music, where it's movies and TV, or whether it is games, they are counted under the banner Entertainment Retail. And they make up the bulk of it. Yes. It's like three quarters of all entertainment retail revenues are now digital. Well, that includes all the different digital services. But yes, they are by far the majority of entertainment retail. So HMV is not barely even worth mentioning. (laughs) ERA published their half-year figures this week, which tells us how entertainment retail is doing in 2017 here in the UK. And more rosy figures from the music industry, which, of course, after those 15 years of doom and gloom, so 2000 to 2010, every year, the recorded music industry, the record industry, was making less than the previous year. Then we had five years of nobody really going anywhere. Not up, not down. Just hanging around. Just (laughs) hanging in there. But the last couple of years, obviously, the recorded music industry has gone back into growth as a result of streaming. And these figures from ERA seem to confirm that that growth is continuing. Yes. So although the more dominant music industry narrative in the press remains that artists are making no money and there's no money to be made from music, on the business side, everyone's rolling in it, apparently. Of course, if you want to be pessimistic. Which I do. (laughs) given your prediction that the music industry is going to collapse in August. There is still the thing that, as we have said in the main, the growth in certainly music retail and actually in some ways in entertainment retail at large, but particularly music retail, is based on the subscription streaming services, by which we really mean in the UK, Spotify and Apple. Yeah. And of course, these are all loss-making services. So the record industry and sort of music retail by association are, as every month goes by, more and more reliant on the Spotify's of this world who themselves continue to lose money. So everybody's future is based on uh, Spotify's ability and their competitors, but Spotify in particular, as the biggest, certainly here in the UK, their ability to actually make their business work. Yeah, so maybe you should let them fill their playlist with stock music if they want to. (laughs) (laughs) If it saves a few pounds and stops them going out of business sometime during August, so there is no music industry by September. What is interesting with the era figures, because obviously we knew all this anyway, because the record industry keeps pumping out stats. And whereas it used to be in the olden days that the record industry, which has always been quite generous with its stats, yeah. but they generally came out in one chunk. Yeah. We got an annual stats pack from each of the trade bodies. And so it used to be that sort of January, February, March, all the trade bodies around the world would put out their stats. And then the IFPI, the global trade body, would put out its big book that aggregates them all in April. And that would be it. No more stats till January. But now, because these trade bodies know that a 
a, a stat or an infographic gets shared on the social networks. Anyone who has ever shared a stat or an infographic on a social network, you're to blame for this. Yep. Now they drip feed data left, right and centre all of the time. So we already knew that the growth in recorded music was continuing, thanks to the streaming services. But what is interesting with the era stats is they don't just include the record industry's cut of the money. Because when the BPI or FPI tell us how much money recorded music has made, they're just telling us what has come into the record companies. Yeah. Whereas era's figures include all of the money except for what goes to the government through VAT. So there's the streaming services and the retailer's cut is in there, as is the publisher and the songwriter's cut. Because in digital, the labels don't report that. In physical, they do, confusingly. When labels tell you how much they made selling CDs and vinyl included in those figures, or the money that was ultimately handed over to the songwriters and the publishers for the song rights. But in digital, that is not declared. Mm. And look at that. I've kind of segued to the conclusion of this story by bringing us back to physical. Yeah, because there is one more stat. We've talked about digital and how music retailers are all digital now. But what about the cassette revival? No, they haven't. <laughs> they didn't put that in there. The vinyl revival, that's the thing. The vinyl oh, revival. Oh, still, still bringing up the rear there. That's all up. Lots more vinyl being sold uh, in terms of units, up 35.7% uh, on last year. In terms of revenue, up 37.6%. Which suggests they're putting up the costs because revenues have gone up higher than units. Yeah, so, so they're increasing that profit margin. Yeah, so vinyl's doing really well and probably now makes up, you know, it might even make up as much as 4% <laughs> of, of the wider record industry's income. But the vinyl revival has not yet burst. Can a revival burst? The vinyl revival bubble has not yet burst. No, although a vinyl festival did cancel this week. Yes. So maybe that's the sign of uh, that's the beginning doom of the and end. gloom to come. That wasn't just because some people were trying to pretend that a record fair <laughs> was yeah. the first ever vinyl festival. Yeah, and, and were charging 40 <laughs> quid to get into it. I think that was probably their problem. But uh, perhaps that is the beginning of the end of the vinyl revival. There was some talk about how growth of vinyl, I think in the US, I didn't properly look into this, I just saw some people chatting about it on the social networks. I think the stat coming out of the US was that the vinyl revival is slowing in that the uplift yeah. is slowing, and some people were saying is at the end. Although you have to think, in terms of percentage increase, it's going to slow because the starting point, is bigger, isn't it? I mean, one of the reasons why the vinyl growth rates were so high five years ago when the vinyl revival first started was because we were starting from <laughs> such a small number of sales. You didn't have to sell many more units to have doubled how many vinyl records yes. you saw. And that's going to get harder to do as you're selling more vinyl records. So in terms of percentage increase, you would expect that really to be getting slightly less each year. But it, it, it still seems to be we are selling more vinyl as each year goes by. Even if it slows, it's not necessarily a case of, oh, it's going to crash and no one's going to buy vinyl. The question is, what level can it sustain at? How many people who are buying vinyl now are doing it while it's a fad and will stop in a year's time or two years' time versus the people who will just continue buying it? That's the question. It is the question. Well done for asking not the question. Not going to answer it. No. We'll, uh, we'll answer think... that in September. <laughs> yes. We'll come back in September and answer that. And with your little reality check there about how, despite... Uh, Final revival, woo, still going up and all of that. It is still, in the wider scheme of things, a very small part of yes. the recorded music industry. In terms of revenue, and then you've got to throw in the fact that it costs quite a lot of money to manufacture and ship vinyl. And then there's also the, the Brexit question. It's already become more difficult to uh, import vinyl because of the, uh, the drop in the pound if and when 
we actually leave the European Union if tariffs are put on that. You know, most of our vinyl in the UK is pressed in Eastern Europe, so that could have a real knock-on effect on it. So there's a bit of doom and gloom. Although, thinking about it, if they do end up putting a big border fence between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland as a result of Brexit... Mm and that sort of a blockade, vinyl records are the one thing that you would be able to frisbee over the fence. So perhaps it will be uh, <laughs> easier to... Uh... That, that's a new new business, standing, uh, standing next to a fence and throwing over records you've just so sold. So that might be a way of uh, sort of on the black market, getting vinyl into the UK without paying the new Brexit duties. They would be a, a little bit scratched, probably a little bit damp. It rains quite a lot in that part of the world. But given all the stats that show that half the people who buy vinyl never actually play it. <laughs> I don't... Wasn't it someone who was telling us the other day that uh, they never get vinyl returned because the vinyl isn't very good quality, even though sometimes the vinyl isn't very good quality, either because the label does it on the cheap or sometimes vinyl yeah. pressing goes wrong. But it always gets returned if there's a crease yeah. <laughs> in the sleeve. People always return it if the sleeve's a little bit uh, damaged, but they don't really care about the actual record itself. But the, the last thing I was going to say, given you brought up the reality check about how Volo Vinyl looks like it's doing well in terms of growth, it's still relatively small overall. At the start, you were doing the bragging about how the music retail was growing faster than gaming and video. Although, again, if you look at entertainment retail overall, nearly half of entertainment retail revenues come in from gaming. Yes. And then about a third comes in from video and then about 20%. Those maths I know doesn't quite add up, but I'm being approximate here. And just under 20% of entertainment retail is coming in from music. So although music is growing faster than video and gaming, the video bit of entertainment retail and the gaming bit is still bringing in more money overall. Yeah, so that's uh, the, the latest round of stats confirming that streaming is making the world a better place. <laughs> Or something, but we'll almost certainly crash and burn but, in August. But yeah, so yeah, there'll be no. We come new... back in September, it will have. Have we said before? If, if Spotify were to fail, that is, <laughs> it will take the music industry down with it quite spectacularly. Although the good news is that you can get the CMU podcast from other channels other than just Spotify. So yes. we are not reliant on Spotify. Yes, it is. Alone. I say, it, is it is on Deezer. It's on so. Deezer as well. So we're we're in it for the long haul, I reckon. <laughs> Still to come on this week's CME podcast, we're going to be looking at a few stories in brief. We're going to be looking through the Mercury Prize shortlist. But first, Help Musicians UK has committed £100,000 to launch a new mental health fund and a campaign called Music Minds Matter. This comes off the back of a project launched at the 2016 CMU Insights Conference at The Great Escape, where they launched a survey into the experience of mental health amongst people who perform music and work in the music industry. That research, they said, identified a mental health crisis in the music industry. It found really high prevalence of people in music have various issues with their mental health at some stage. And so they are now launching various things to try to combat it. And what's good about this announcement that Help Musicians put out last week is you mentioned that they launched their research at The Great Escape uh, last year as part of the CMU Insights Conference. And we had that whole session, didn't we, looking at mental health in the music community. And that was on the back of the fact that in the couple of years leading up to that, so where are we in terms of our dates? So this was May 2016. So from about 2014 onwards, it felt like, particularly here in the UK, a number of artists from across different genres 
all either gave very candid interviews or in most cases wrote very candid, honest articles about their personal experiences tackling mental health issues as artists and partly just to get people talking about mental health across the board, but also to discuss the specific ways in which being an artist, working within the music industry, the peculiarities of the industry, the fact that artists are self-employed, the fact that they have this weird life where they'll be in the studio, in the studio, promo, 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 on tour, all over the world, not quite sure where they are, and then off for six months. And, and sort of you know, the, the highs and the lows and the ups and the downs and the lack of structure sometimes yeah. and the impact that that can have on well, people. The highs and, yeah, like not even necessarily highs and lows in the sense that something happens that's bad necessarily, but the fact that you could maybe be on stage playing to tens of thousands of people one night, which obviously that's an unusual experience, and then the next day you could just be alone in your flat. Just the shift in those two states is going to have some effect on you, because how could it not? And so, as I say, a number of artists wrote about their personal experiences, very honest, frank accounts, and, and that really then put the conversation about mental health within the music community, both on stage and off stage, performers and those working behind the scenes. A conversation seemed to be beginning that we had never seen before mm. within the music community. And that was very interesting. We also knew that Vice were doing a number of special films on this issue, which they were putting out during Mental Health Awareness Week, which happened to be the week that The Great Escape took place in 2016. So in order to build on all of that, we had this session as part of our conference in 2016, where we talked about the various things. So some of the things you've just talked about, we had a couple of artists who gave their own personal stories, we had managers who talked about uh, supporting artists who maybe have depression or other mental health issues. And so we had this conversation. And, and as part of that, we had help musicians speaking and launching their research. We had what was then a very new initiative called Music Support, a new yep. helpline. And they came in, they talked about why they'd set it up and what their ambitions were. The Music Managers Forum took part and we had managers talking about the fact that when it comes to artists' health, often that falls onto management because really the artist manager is the only person who has the 24-7, 12 months a year relationship with their artists. But are managers equipped to support artists if they're having health issues? And can it also have an impact on the manager's health? And so we had all these organisations talking and it was a really good afternoon. I mean, you ran it, yeah. <laughs> you, you chaired it and did all the interviews and stuff. But it was a really good afternoon. At the end of it, everyone was feeling very positive. But you always feel, don't you, when the danger of sessions like that. And this is why I always resist doing the diversity panel at The Great Escape. We did a few diversity case studies last year mm. because it is an issue which I'm very passionate about. And in another part of my life, I work for a charity that is all about addressing diversity, albeit in the PR industry, not the music industry. But I'm always wary of the diversity panel that you get at lots of conferences, not just music conferences, media conferences and whatever, where you have four people on stage all angrily agreeing yes. that there should be more diversity, whether that's gender diversity, ethnic diversity, social class diversity, you know, more opportunities for disabled people. We all angrily agree that we need a more diverse sector. And then you sort of feel the problem with that is that then everyone leaves the room feeling quite pleased with themselves because, you know, we've all put the world to rights and feeling quite smug about it. And everyone sort of leaves the room feeling that they've achieved something when actually... You haven't achieved anything. Yeah. All you did was talk about some stuff around. You just agreed with each other for an hour and everyone leaves and nothing happens. And so that was always the danger of our afternoon at The Great Escape talking about these mental health challenges. And so it is brilliant to see that in the 12 months, you know, nothing to do with us, we must stress. Yeah. In the 12 months since, help musicians and music support 
and the Music Managers Forum have all expanded and launched some brilliant initiatives. So yeah. they've actually taken the initiative and hopefully we're now putting some structure and some initiatives in place that will genuinely help artists and people working in the music industry to um, have a better mental health. Yes, I mean, as you say, like the various things have launched. It feels like it's still early stages for all of these things, but there are things growing in terms of what's been offered. Going from a starting point of pretty much nothing, there's now, you know, obviously help musicians are launching this fund and this campaign. Music support, not only running their helpline and they're doing amazing work. Various festivals this year, they've had their Safe Tent campaign, which is basically they just have a tent backstage at festivals where people can go for advice or just for somewhere to go and be out of the stress of a festival and you know, working on a festival, performing at a festival for a moment. Which seems uh, to me like a genius project. Yeah. It's supported by the Brits Trust, it's supported by Festival Public, Live Nation. And, it, and it's brilliant because it achieves two things. Because A, obviously, music support, quite a new initiative. They need to get out there, get their name out there. So it's a way of doing that, of reaching people who are backstage at festivals. But, but not, it's not just yeah, sitting there handing exactly. out leaflets, it's doing something proactive. The fact the tent is there yeah. as a place that people can just go and chill and step back from the stress and there be people there who are understanding and there isn't that party atmosphere. And obviously one of the exciting things about being backstage sometimes is the party atmosphere, but then there are times, particularly when you're working at a festival, that walking into a party atmosphere is not what you need. Yeah. You simply need somewhere to go and chill with people who understand. So yeah, it's a brilliant initiative in that it is marketing what they do, but in itself, it's a really good scheme. Yes, and then obviously the MMF, with Help Musicians and Music Support, launched their guide for artist managers on looking after the mental health of both themselves and their artists and hopefully we'll see some more stuff build out of that. So, yeah, it feels like lots of things are happening that have been really necessary for quite a long time. And obviously, this has been a big topic of discussion again, because obviously only earlier this month, Chester Bennington has just taken his own life. Chris Cornell, not long before him. Clearly, it's something that needs to be talked about, and it's an area where support is necessary, and seeing various things growing up out of the need for that discussion and that help is really brilliant. And also having spoken through various events I've been to recently to artist managers elsewhere in the world, it is interesting, particularly given the example of two American artists that you've given there, that I, I, I do sort of feel that the UK music community has sort of been ahead really here mm. in that we have now been having this conversation for a good couple of years. I, I, I still think that the Amy Winehouse movie had a major impact yeah. on a lot of people who work in the music industry here, not, not yeah. people who, who knew her or worked with her. Well, that obviously, when we had our discussions about this in 2016, that came up quite a lot. And it came up, we had, you know, we revisited it this year's Great Escape and that still came up that film that is definitely it was a real turning point in the conversation and very much so here in the UK but it's interesting talking to artist managers elsewhere that they are also having this conversation some cases independently of what's happening here other times inspired by what's happening here and I know the guide that the MMF have put out they've been sending copies to their sort of counterparts around the world who are saying wow this is really good we should do a local version of this and help musicians with this new initiative they're launching they are also planning on launching a helpline so there'll be two helplines, music-specific. And actually, I think they probably will complement each other because music support is very much a, it's someone to talk to. They're not there to give you specialist medical advice. It's just, just a friendly voice at mm. the end of the phone who understands. Yeah. And if it then sounds like you need to actually go and get some sort of medical support, they can tell you who to talk to, but that's not what they're there for. Whereas I think help musicians, because they already have a health and well-being part of what they do. So I think those two helplines will complement each other. But the other interesting thing about what help musicians are talking about is that they are hoping to reach out 
to organisations which perhaps have a similar remit elsewhere in the world to try and encourage the American music industry, the Australian music industry. I, th- I think they will initially launch with English-speaking countries, but hopefully get this around the world. So yes, in the coming years, artists and people behind the scenes who need help, A, know that they can ask for help, which I think is part of the problem, wasn't it, in the past, is just... Well, I remember one person in one of the videos that Vice talked about at The Great Escape last year. I can't remember who it was, but it was one artist who was really struggling. They'd had a successful album, their career was seemingly going well, but they were really struggling with their mental health. But they said that whenever they went home, it it just got worse because they felt they couldn't complain because they were living the dream. Yeah. And their friends were working in shops and call centres. And they were living the dream. And it was like, I I can't go home and say, do you know what? Things really are wrong because Mm. it'd be like, I'm meant to be the person who's got the dream lifestyle. So I think knowing that it is okay to go and seek help and then also knowing who it is that you need to go and talk to to get that support. So, uh, yeah, it's great that all these organisations are doing this and I hope that they continue to spread. Quickly time to look through a few stories in brief now. Facebook has bought Source 3, a rights management platform. This is all part of Facebook's mission to basically have a content ID like Google's YouTube does, so that when Facebook users upload videos with other people's content in them, and obviously that's most commonly music, but not necessarily music, they may be nabbing clips off TV or movies or stuff like that, that Facebook has a system that spots that content and then helps rights owners either block it or preferably monetize it. So it's all part of Facebook becoming YouTube, basically. So uh... And in fact, the founders of Source 3... Their previous company was a company that became Content ID. Not quite. Almost. It was, it was, it, but it was definitely, it was a, a music rights licensing company in the digital domain, yeah, that they sold to Google. So basically they've sold rights management expertise to both Google and Facebook now. <laughs> Let them it's fight good it work out. if you can get it. Yeah. Uh, Michael Duggar, the relatively new CEO of UK Music, gave a speech on music education and the plight of grassroots venues in the UK. So this was at the conference of the Musicians' Union in Brighton and Michael Duggar gave a speech at it. It was a very interesting speech, particularly the stuff on music education. I think that was because he also talked about copyright stuff and Brexit and obviously the challenges that grassroots venues are facing. But obviously I've heard those discussions so many times. That's not to say that they shouldn't be said again. There's still issues we need to address. But there wasn't anything new where him his explaining something which I was aware of, but because we've not really been reporting on it in CMU, I wasn't as aware that the way that they changed a few years ago, the way schools are assessed on the academic achievement of their students and the fact that creative subjects have been really downplayed to the extent now that schools aren't offering subjects like music at GCSE. Or some schools, apparently, you can do music GCSE, but not within the school day. (laughs) You have to do it in the evening or something. And he was sort of saying that the music industry is relying on music education to give us the next generation of artists. And, of course, there is all that research that, for some people, a music education within school gets them engaged which then means they perform better in sort of the uh, the more maybe traditional academic subjects. Now, as we all know, there's no Glastonbury next year, which means there are no music festivals in the UK at all next year. Uh, So the BBC is going to set up a music festival so that there is one next year. Indeed. So Radio 1's Big Weekender 
is becoming the BBC's biggest weekender. So every BBC radio station, pretty much all the music ones and the TV stations, they're going to do this big festival. So instead of filming Glastonbury, they'll do their own festival, four sites around the country, each of the countries, so England, Scotland, Ireland, Wales, Northern Ireland. So all of that. Initially, when it was announced, quite a few people in the music industry were like, yeah, this is really exciting. And I was like, I think this is a terrible idea. <laughs> if the BBC wants to have festivals on its output, go and find a festival and film it. <laughs> There's an awful lot to choose from. I don't really understand why the BBC thinks it's a good idea to spend its licence no, fee I mean, money. It's perhaps they've thought oh, there's politics in picking a festival Well, they to picked film. Glastonbury. <laughs> I know. And they filmed others. They used to film Tea in the Park. No, I know. I I can see why they might have thought it was easier to set up their own thing. But at the same time, yeah, it's not that hard to go and say, we want to film your festival for one year and then we'll ditch it and go back to Glastonbury. I mean, why not pick four of the really good independent festivals and go to them and say, can we help you get a much bigger headline app than you usually could using the weight of the BBC? And then we'll film your festival. We'll still get four great headliners and those festivals will get a boost. It's more of the BBC's empire building. The BBC should spend the licence fee money making TV and radio because that's what it's there for. It is. If the bosses at the BBC want to play festivals, they should spend their own money not mine. So yeah, I'm not impressed with the BBC festivals. It's on the list with the BBC Music Awards. <laughs> but uh, perhaps rather than spending licence fee paying money on it, they could get O2 to sponsor it, because as readers of See Me Daily would know, I'm also a big fan of, <laughs> <laughs> of O2. What a great company. Yeah. Well, you can uh, read about all of those stories on the CMU website. If you go to completemusicupdate.com slash podcast, you'll find the show notes for this show and links to all of them. And finally this week, the Mercury Prize shortlist is out. Uh, As you mentioned at the beginning, the shortlist has just come out as we record the podcast. And by the time you hear it, it is old news, but we're still going to discuss it. So that's your tough luck. It's a tradition that Andy Malt inflicts his opinions on the Mercury (laughs) shortlist. And he used to write like a really detailed article about it on the website. He used to do predictions and everything. In these lazy days. anymore. (laughs) <laughs> we just stick it at the end of the podcast because <laughs> that's uh, that involves less work. So anyway, yeah, 12 acts. 12 acts. Uh, one of them will win £25,000. £25,000. Uh, who sponsors it now? It's... Uh, Hyundai. That's right, because it used to be Barclay Card, didn't it? Yeah. And then they had a year without a sponsor, and actually the BBC was sort of the sponsor because they yeah. didn't have a sponsor. But they've got a sponsor again. So uh, that's how they can afford to give away 25 grand. If Ed Sheeran wins it, I mean, <laughs> he really doesn't need 25 he, grand. He does not. I think they should, uh, I don't know, they should give it to me. <laughs> if Ed Sheeran wins, the condition should be that I get the 25 grand. Well, why don't you email Ed now? Or, do you know what? No, don't tweet him, though. Do you know, yeah, no, he's completely <laughs> off Twitter now. Do you know what... Uh, <laughs> I could tweet J.K. Rowling. No, <laughs> Let's not no, get into that Callbacks to all podcasts there. Do you know what they could do if he wins it? I'm leading up to something here. No, what, what, what could they do? I don't know. They could divide the winning money amongst the other shortlisted acts. That wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth it, was it? But, Shall we yeah. go through the list? Yeah, let's go through the list from the top in alphabetical order. Yeah. Oh, not in alphabetical order. What order are these in? Oh, because that's by surname. In almost sort of alphabetical order. Depending on how you class alphabetization. Yeah, how your A to Z systems work. <laughs> also, Alt-J is a symbol. Do you remember they, they did used to have, they were the symbol? 
when they first came out. Yeah, it would be too confusing. Because there was that whole thing about how the existence of Alt-J meant that you could write Bastille, because we all knew how to do the triangle in Bastille, because it was Alt-J. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember that. Well, there you go. Alt-J are first. They're still a band. Yeah. They've been nominated before. In fact, they've won before. Have they? Yeah. So um, so they don't deserve to win. They shouldn't get it. Except, I've never really liked Alt-J. But I heard one of their new songs the other day and I thought, that is really good. I should listen to them and give them another chance. So perhaps... I haven't. They should win this year, but on the condition they give back their previous prize for the shit album that they somehow won the Mercury Prize for. Yeah, fine. One of them left, didn't they? Do you think that's what's made them better? I think that's probably what it was, yeah. Whichever one it was that left was really holding them back. So I'm glad they got rid of him. (laughs) So Alt-J is uh, Relaxer is the name of their album. Mm. Shortlisted. Next, The Big Moon. It was nice to see them on the list. Is they it? were uh, they were the kind of the, the hot band, The Great Escape, a few years ago, who uh, I repeatedly tried to see and failed because the queues were very long, because they were the hot band. And it's nice to see them now on the list. Well, I've still never seen them live, but they're good. They're not they're nominated good, for their live show. They're nominated band. for their recording. Yes, that's true. They're uh, what I guess to what you would term a guitar band, if that's what you wanted to do, or an in- do. indie band, maybe. Um, Indish Mindy? No, I wouldn't say Indish Mindy. No, 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 no. no. Indie rock. Yes, and one of a number on this list. Quite an indie list. Is this the uh, grime backlash beginning? Do you think that's what this shortlist is? Yeah, see, it's all guitars this time. It's the start of the grime backlash. You know why that is? If I see another politician telling the world how big a Stormzy fan they are, (laughs) (laughs) uh, that's probably why the grime backlashes begin. Too many politicians are... uh, Didn't one MP quote? Yeah. Was Stormzy... New new Croydon MP. Obviously, he's from Croydon, so she quoted him as like, as the great Stormzy... That's not her voice. (laughs) (laughs) As the great Stormzy from Croydon said... And then she quoted some of his lyrics. Hence the grime backlash. All guitars from this point onwards. Next. Well, yeah, Blossoms. They've got guitars. um, But I don't like them, so let's not even talk about them. Uh, Lord Carner, he's good. I am going to go out... Let's see, let's look at the rest of the list quickly. I'm going to say I think he might win it. Do you? Yeah, because there's a nice story behind his album as well, and everyone likes a story, in that a lot of the album is sampled from an album he found in his late father's belongings that his dad had recorded and then never shown anyone, never played to it, it was just, it was just there. So a lot of his album is sampled from that record, and it's all got that out in the, into the world. And as I said, his Glastonbury set was quite an emotional thing. Once again, it's not judged on live performance. No, Glastonbury set's but, irrelevant. Uh, if anything, that should go against him. <laughs> well, right. Well, maybe he won't win it. No. Uh, Dinosaur. That's the return of the token jazz artist yeah. last year. They dropped the token jazz category last year, I think. Um, it's now back. I just feel a bit bad saying token jazz category because obviously <laughs> jazz is a legitimate art form and Dinosaur are a very acclaimed jazz act. Already nominated for, uh, I think, a Jazz FM award for best UK jazz act. Clearly very deserving of their nomination, but they're still going to be known as the token jazz act and they won't win it. Well, they can always use that token. What does that token get them? Is it uh, two for one at... Uh... <laughs> an Ed Sheeran album? <laughs> an Ed Sheeran album. Well, if Ed Sheeran wins, they'll get uh, a, an 11th of the 25 grand. That's what they can cash in their token with. Yeah, maybe they could get a Glass Animals album, because they're on the list. Another more guitar-y band. They're all right. Uh, Jay Huss, that's a rapper. It's one of them rappers you don't like. Yeah. Uh, he, he's on there. Sampha, now Sampha, he's, he's a quiet one. He's a soul singer, quite acclaimed soul singer, who sort of 
I guess he's best known because he's collaborated with a lot of big artists. He's worked with Beyonce and Drake, but he's put out his own solo album, which has uh, also been quite acclaimed and has made it to this list. So maybe he'll get it. I think he's another possible contender Do you? for the prize. In a move that would allow the grime backlash to continue, but not allow allegations of, or it's all back to tedious indie rock guitar bands. Yes, yeah, speaking of uh, tedious... Well, I don't know. I can't call him indie rock guitar, but he no. does play a guitar. He does. And his name's Ed Sheeran. It is. And as we've already said, if he wins it, uh, that's a travesty, isn't it? Although not least because his album's not very good. But his Glastonbury set was brilliant, remember? His Glastonbury set was But that's yeah. not what's relevant here. Yeah, but his album is not the best British album of the last year. If he um, was to release his Glastonbury set as an album, would you rate that? Or does it only work in a live setting, even though you weren't even there in a live setting? It has to be in a live setting. Some things exist as a thing that happens and then stops and is gone. And that's what they should be, even though I watched his set on the iPlayer, so it was after. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Let's ignore that. OK, I'm ignoring it. It will fall off the iPlayer. So Ed Sheeran is there. Stormzy. Stormzy. Who you hate. (laughs) (laughs) I just hate his MP. I'm fine with him. Uh, He's on there. He's also probably... He's probably a contender as well, isn't he? If we're going to put a top three, let's say Lord Carner, Samford and Stormzy top so three. So Skepta won last year. Was it yeah. last year that Skepta yeah. won? So that would be a backlash to the grime backlash. So it depends how far ahead of the zeitgeist the Mercury Prize <laughs> panel want to be. Do they want to be the bastions of the grime backlash or do they want to be the bastions of the grime backlash backlash? That's the decision they've got to make. That will basically be what they'll discuss on the night. They won't actually talk about the albums. They'll just uh, debate that. Well, they could debate which half of his album they like. Gang Signs and Prayer, that's the album. In, on one side, it's quite an aggressive album. And as I mean, I think his MP quoted from Shut Up. And that's aggressive, isn't it? Very aggressive. But on the other side, it's quite a religious album. A lot of, uh, it's, it, as it says, Gang Signs and Prayer. It flipped between the two. And it's quite a, it can be quite a weird album to listen to. Because at one point you're thinking, quite like this. And then suddenly it dawns on you, you're like, wait, this has got very gaudy. Very suddenly. But I did check, because I do research before I come on this podcast. Do you? So I did check before we came on. Um, Jesus is not on the panel this year, so I don't think that's going to happen. Tough. Tough. Uh, Kate Tempest, she's up again. That's her second nomination. And it would actually be quite nice to see her win, because she's sort of been, I think, acclaimed to a very high level for several years now, both as a solo artist and with her former band, and possibly never had the commercial success that would match that acclaim. And possibly a Mercury win might kind of give her a bit of a kick commercially that would help. If I was on the judging panel, which I wouldn't be, because I assume you have to listen to all these albums to be on the judging panel. Do you think you have to listen to them all? (laughs) You probably. First couple of tracks, probably. I don't want to listen to the whole Ed Sheeran album. Um, but I would pick Kate Tempest if I was on the uh, on the judging. It's not my prediction. It's who I would pick if I was on the judging panel. But uh, she is the penultimate person on our list. Yeah, because for some reason the XX's album is on there. I don't really understand that at all. Because <laughs> that album is dreadful. <laughs> uh, they're former winners as well, so uh, they can't win it again. Not for that album. It's rubbish. Yeah, and, and, and that I mean, that's just my personal opinion. You might think it's great, but you are wrong. Unlike Old J, who won for their shit album. Yeah, and they're now nominated for their good album, mm. or at least it has a good track on it. According yeah. to Andy Malt, he hasn't actually listened to the whole album. The XX won for a very good album, and are now nominated for a shit album. Is is that our conclusion? Yeah. So there you go. That is the Mercury Prize shortlist. I saw at least four articles in the social media feed before we went onto the podcast with a "What's wrong with the Mercury 
prize. Where's the metal? So I assume... So you've always got to say, where's the metal? Uh, where is the metal? Where, where is it? They really... Come on. At least two of those articles were published with like 10 minutes of the list going out. So do you think the journalists just assume they're not going to like the list and write the article? Or do they write two articles? Do they write a, this is a brilliant list article, this is a terrible list article? Or do they just assume that they're not going to be happy with the list and, and only write the negative article? Well, the negative article is probably going to get more hits. So uh, that's true. You just <laughs> all it you need true. to do is say the XX album is dreadful, and everyone will tune into you. Well, that's a theory we can test, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so the uh, the winner is picked on the night at the uh, Hammersmith Apollo. I think they host it at these days. Do they not? Sure. Why not? And I think it is broadcast on the BBC. Yeah. Imagine that, the BBC Broadcasting, somebody else's awards. I'm surprised they haven't uh, set up their own Mercury Music Prize, the BBC <laughs> Pointless Album Prize that could go alongside the uh, BBC Pointless Music Awards and the BBC Pointless Music Festival and the BBC Pointless Music Education event. But this is not about BBC bashing. <laughs> that is not why we've come here today. That's why you come here every week, we, isn't we, it? We've come here to get very excited about the Mercury Prize shortlist. So September! Is it? Yeah. Is that when we find out? Yeah, so we, we may well uh, return with the delayed news of the winner that you already know. Yes. To accompany our delayed uh, analysis of the shortlist. Is it not late September? The, uh, oh, we'll probably be back before then. We probably will be back before then, unless it is early September. I think it's late September. Who knows? So uh, good luck to everybody. Except the XX. Except the XX with their shit album. <laughs> Particularly good luck to uh, to Kate Tempest and uh, and to Stormzy. Jesus isn't on the judging panel because, as we've discussed, Jesus is a myth, never existed. More about that in September, apparently. I am actually hoping Ed Sheeran wins it, so I'm I'm going to put to all of my uh, faith into Ed Sheeran winning because although I think that would be uh, a really bad decision, I think it would be hilarious. I wonder what he did. Ed Sheeran's quite nice, though, isn't it? I'm he sure is. he. I'm sure he would immediately. He probably would divide the winnings between the other artists. Because that's the kind of guy he is. It also sort of almost Except turns... the XX, because they won it before. And Alt-J. Don't give it to them. Don't give it to them. Divided, but you have to have not won it before. He's doing the um, the Sofa Sounds Amnesty International event. Mm. That sounds really exciting and should be getting more press than it is. I mean, people are covering it, but I'm not quite sure why. It's Well, Ed Sheeran's now on board, so perhaps it is now getting the big press coverage. I've just not been looking. Well, it's not right until September as well. It's true. They're building. They're building. Lots more announcements. But he's doing that in September, which will be around about the time of this. So perhaps he could give the money to that campaign yeah. that's probably what he should and probably would well Ed Sheeran already gives quite a lot of his money to charity he does because he? he's so bloody nice providing there's a pig involved he will uh, he will give money to charity I don't think there has to be a pig involved does there not I assume that was a gift you had to he had but maybe to... they'll serve pork at this year's uh, Mercury dinner just to be on the safe side well as long as it's not fish I don't care <laughs> I'm now referencing back to beef of the week columns from three years ago <laughs> <laughs> One this, day I hope this, this entire podcast will be uh, obscure references to articles we wrote long in the past. Well, when there's no music industry left in the September... We'll just reminisce about things we'll, we we'll, we'll just talk about articles we wrote when there was a music industry in the dim and distant oh, do you past. remember when we wrote about that map? I do. Oh, great times. <laughs> the UK Music Festival map. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's something you can all go and look up during the, uh, the summer break. Hey, i got to go. I really yeah. do have to go. I need to be at BPIHQ in 45 minutes to talk about copyright for three hours. So I don't know why I've let you waffle on quite so long about the bloody Mercury Prize shortlist. All right, well, I'll, I'll wrap it up Yeah, then. do. I've got to go. I've got All to right, go. See ya. Subscribe to this podcast on Deezer 
or other services. You should like it, rate it, review it positively on anywhere you possibly can do that. And you should share it with your friends and tell them to listen to it because, uh, you know, you can really sell it. You can say, oh, they've loads of really obscure callbacks to articles I haven't read and never will. Although this isn't really a time to be sharing it with your friends because we're about to go on a one-month holiday. So subscribe to the TW Talks podcast, listen to that for a month, and then in September, share the CME podcast and then we'll be All right. You, who are already listening to it, don't share it with your friends. Never, ever, at least for the next month, mention this podcast to your friends. Keep it a secret. Go and listen to my interview to Phil Wang. It's really good. Subscribe to it so that you will automatically receive the next episode when we return in September. I apologise in advance, but when the podcast goes out in retrospect, to all the people coming to my BPI Senior Insights course on copyright, because I'm almost certainly going to be late now. But, uh, but that was in the past now, so it doesn't matter. But you can refer them to this, so that's good. Anyway, uh, I've been Andy Malt. He's been Chris Cook. Probably continue to be, but who knows what will happen in a month. Uh, and for more on CMU, you can go to completemusicupdate.com. Recorded at Unique Facilities, the CMU podcast is an unlimited production in association with Seven Digital. I don't really understand what you just said. No, I don't know either. <laughs> I was hoping you'd say something that would make it make sense. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE or Summit 4xE. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.